Lord, today as I open 2 Corinthians chapter 6, I'd ask for you to speak, to keep me out of the way. Would you please, Lord, provide wisdom and insight for us today? Would you give us a glimpse of who you are and what you're about? And would you help us to see our need for you today? Or would you help us to understand the depravity of the world and the richness of your kingdom? Lord, we lay it all before you and the cross that Jesus hung on. And we ask that you would bless this time. And it's in the matchless and priceless name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. It was great to see everybody this morning. It's such a blessing to be able to open God's Word, and, and I consider it just a special privilege. So my name is Dean Hendrickson. For those of you who don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here at Windsor Community Church, and we rotate through teaching, and it's been such an incredible experience. I think it's been one of the most rewarding experiences of my life is to be able to serve alongside Dan and Chris and Danny and to open God's Word as we go through this. And we generally will will start in the beginning of a book and teach through that, and then occasionally we'll take some time off. So over the last couple of weeks, we, we tried to cast some of the vision that God put upon our hearts, and it was really exciting. It's so exciting to see God moving and to know that God directs this church. It's so fun to be part of a pastor board with men whose desire and their hearts are to be servants. And to be serving this body and to sacrifice time and other things for that. And it's just a blessing to know that God allows us to be part of this wonderful body. You guys are astounding. And it's just such a blessing. And I'm reminded time after time after time how much of a privilege it is to worship alongside all of you. And how we are so fortunate I think we often don't understand that. I think we often don't even grasp the benefits that God has given us as a body together here at Windsor Community Church. And we take so many things for granted. We don't understand. And sometimes we stumble in the messes we've created for ourselves and we struggle with things. And we can't see this overarching wonder that we ought to see Every day, and, and I get the privilege of seeing that because I spend my work weeks in a different world. It is not a world made up of believers. It is not a world where Christ is the center. It is a world where self is king. It is where science dictates everything. I'm a veterinarian and I teach at CSU. And I'm reminded when people come and have needs. I had the opportunity to visit with a veterinary student this week that just reminded me. How fortunate I am to have this body around me. And how beautiful it is when the body of Christ works the way it's supposed to work. So I would encourage you, as we open the word today, never forget that. Never forget how fortunate you are to have been placed in this body. And how fortunate you are that God has called you to be here today. Because he has a message for you. He's knocking at your door and there's something for all of us to learn. And it was a great reminder to me this week, the importance of my job as a co-laborer with God. The importance it is for me to be prepared in season and out of season to be a laborer with him. Danny finished up 
2 Corinthians chapter 5 a number of weeks ago, and I need to review just a little bit to bring us into the passage today, because it's important to make sure that we get the context of where we're going. And Paul has been talking to the Corinthians, and he's been talking about the love of Christ controlling and how we're walking by faith and not by sight. And in verse 20, he summarizes to the Corinthians, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were entreating through us, as if he were making an appeal through us. We beg you, therefore, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So we're ambassadors, those who have claimed Christ as their Savior. We now have a new title. We're not only saints, we're not only brothers and sisters, we're not only children of God, but we're ambassadors. And I don't know what experience you guys have with ambassadors, but you know, you get the perspective. Ambassadors typically are treated with the red carpet treatment all the time. You know, everybody wants to make the ambassadors happy and they're really important folks. Now, the real world ambassadors have nothing from a job perspective as we do as ambassadors. Their jobs are actually you know, minuscule compared to what our jobs are as ambassadors. And yet you won't see many of us driving out with little flags on the front of our car that wave in the wind as we drive. Maybe a car in front and behind that are going to protect us from the world and the woes of things that go on. But we have an incredible responsibility. And, and so Paul was finishing that up in chapter 5 and helping these guys know this. And this is a power-packed two verses in here. And he's, he's begging these people. He's talking to them. When you are an ambassador of Christ, it's as if God himself is appealing to people through you. If that doesn't send shivers up your spine, you're dead. God himself uses us and works through us as his ambassadors. And Paul's pleading. He begs these guys. He, he just, he's, he's just crying out to them. On the behalf of Christ, be reconciled to this God who wants to work through you. And remember, remember what this looks like. Remember, you're sinners. All of you, Corinthians, Windsorians, you're sinners. But it's okay. Because God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf. And there is no condemnation for us. And that is a privilege. And then he starts off in chapter 6. So he has this as a foundation. So remember this, you're an ambassador. And in verses 1 and 2 in chapter 6, he goes on to say, In working together with him, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, at the acceptable time, I listened to you. And on the day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Let's break this into a couple of spots because it's really two different thoughts that are going on here. The first one is verse one. And working together with him, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. This is often misunderstood as a verse that says you can lose your salvation. The grace is in vain. The concept that people that use this come across and say, well, you were saved, you received the grace, but because you continued to sin and did all these things, it was in vain because it was taken away. It isn't true. 
That's not the case. It's not what this means at all. Once saved, always saved. The Bible tells us that once we're in his hand, nobody or nothing can pry us out. We can't jump out. We can't get free. No one can take us out. That's not what this says. What this is talking about is is because you are saved, there are expectations. And if you do not follow through those, the grace of the Savior will have been in vain, not for your salvation, but for that which comes after your salvation. Grace is unmerited favor. Grace is receiving something we don't deserve. Right? What a blessing grace is. None of us can work our way into heaven. You know, there's a great song. It doesn't play on the radio much down here, but you can't get to heaven on roller skates. And there's this whole series of things that you can't get to heaven with. And it's kind of a parody song, but the whole premise is very true. It's all based upon you can't get to heaven except by grace. There's a chasm that's too wide for us to jump across, no matter how skilled we are, no matter how good we are, no matter what we do, we can't get there. So we have to depend upon the grace of God. The vein here is talking about emptiness or foolishness or futile things. It's in essence, we receive God's grace when we, when we accept salvation, right? We get the grace and that saves us. But then we spend our life doing foolish things. There's a vainness then in the grace. It doesn't make you less saved. It just means that you're probably not going to hear the well done, my good and faithful servant. You're going to come face to face with God when you have salvation. That's a promise for us. But what we want to hear is the well done, my good and faithful servant. And that's the part that Paul's talking about here. And then he takes a bit of a break just for a second here. And he says, for he says at the acceptable time, I listened to you. And on the day of salvation, I helped you. This is based upon Isaiah chapter 49, verse 8. In Isaiah, it's talking about the Messiah, right? The Messiah that's coming and how God's going to listen to the Messiah, to Jesus when he comes. And he's going to help him. Now, Paul's not using this phrase to say to us that God's going to listen to us just like he listened to Jesus. But on the other hand, he's trying to bring up a very important point here. You see, the Corinthians were caught up in a lot of things. And like us... There were issues of procrastination. There were people that would talk about the things of God, but not want to take that final step. Not want to hit that point where they said, I'm going to accept Christ as my Savior. I'm going to accept the salvation. Paul's perspective here, he's trying to present to the Corinthians, there is a time of salvation. Right? It started here. It will end here. God knows the end date. I don't. But God does know that end date. And Paul goes on to say, the time is now. Corinthians, don't wait. Don't hold back. Don't stop and say, maybe tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow I'll accept this free gift of grace and salvation. It's a good day tomorrow. This is Super Bowl today. If I were to do this, maybe I would be convicted and not watch the Super Bowl. I want to do that. Or maybe it's something else that's holding me back. Paul's trying to say to the Corinthians here, the time for salvation and the gift of salvation will cease. It will end. There will be a point 
where no matter what, you will not be able to go back and beg and plead your way in. God will say, it's done. I'm sorry. If we look at Proverbs chapter 1, it's a great picture of this. So we go back to Proverbs chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 24 through 33. Because I called you and you refused, I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention. And you neglected all my counsel and did not want my reproof. I will even laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your dread comes. When your dread comes like a storm and your calamity comes like on the whirlwind. When distress and anguish come on you, then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they shall not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would not accept my counsel. They spurned all my reproof. So they shall eat of the fruit of their own way and be satiated with their own devices. For the waywardness of the naive shall kill them and the complacency of fools shall destroy them. But he who listens to me shall live securely and shall be at ease from the dread of evil. God has set up a time and he will say enough. Probably the most important thing I'm going to say to you today, if you don't have him as your savior, is how long are you going to wait? How long will you wait? Paul catches back up in verse 3. He really comes back and says, he took just a little aside there. It's as if he's saying, in verse 1, he's talking to believers. In verse 3, he's talking to believers. But in verse 2, he said, I know there are unbelievers among you. I know there are those who don't know Jesus as their Savior among you. So I'm going to take a quick second here, and I'm going to share with you the importance of making a decision and making it soon. Don't wait. Now he moves back in to verse 3. And he talks now, finishing out. So if we were to read this, we could just as easily read and working together, starting in verse one with him. We also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain, giving no cause for offense in anything in order that the ministry may not be discredited. So Paul's talking to the believers of Corinth and he's discussing with them. I already know you're saved. You have salvation, Corinthians, those of you who are believers Your job is to be a co-laborer. You're an ambassador. You work for God. God works through you. And you need to just really decide that you're going to step up and do your job. Right? Every year in the business world, most of us will go through some type of justification for our last year. We go through something that justifies what we did. We do that at the Veterinary Teaching Hospital. And we fill out this incredible, arduous form that tells us that, yes, you came to work every day last year. And it gives you percentages of this, that, and the other. But it's something that my boss then looks at and uses to determine whether or not I'll get a raise or whether or not I'll get promoted or or whatever it is. And this is what Paul's trying to talk to the Corinthians about. It's almost like it's their annual review. Guys? isn't working quite the way I'd hoped it would with you. So let me give you a pep talk. Because I'm accepting you're a believer. We need, to, we need to step up and do some more things here. And when we talk about not giving an offense here in verse 3, in essence, when we create offenses, when we do this, we create stumbling blocks for people. Now, our job as believers is not to make it hard for other people to want to come to know Jesus. Our job as believers is not to be somebody who somebody looks at and says, man, this guy, 
talks about Christianity and religion and all what all these other things are. But look at what he is. Look at how he lives. Look at how he treats people. Look at what he does. I wouldn't want any part of that. Who wants to be a part of that? It, it reminds me vividly of a discussion I had with a Brazilian about a year and a half ago. We were in Brazil and we were driving by this church of opulence. I mean, it was just like it was made out of precious gems and metals. And the response to this person was one of huge distaste as we drove by this place. And he's, he's just said, who would want to be part of this? This particular church, the, the person who leads this church is on television and he steals money from people. He makes promises that he can't keep and he takes their money and people can't eat. And he drives around in fancy cars and has three or four homes around the area. That's an offense. That's what Paul's talking about. This is a stumbling block. Here's a man who is one of the most loving, respectful, enjoyable people you would ever meet. If you were ever to meet this man in Brazil, he would take you in like family. Right. He has a heart that is just full of love, but he hates what that stands for. And you have to imagine that the Corinthians were there too. The Corinthians were struggling with that. We struggle with that. It's all over the place. We've got to be careful that we're not about building roadblocks, that we're not out there making unscalable mountains, that we're not there creating havoc and difficulties such that nobody wants to know Jesus because they know me. That's such an important thing. And Paul talks about that. Give no cause for offense. None. Not a little bit. None. Give no cause. We see this in 1 Corinthians 8, 9 and 13 as well as verse 9 and 12, that same concept of don't create a stumbling block. In those verses, it's related to what do we do as believers while there is latitude for eating. What do you eat? Where does your food come from? For drinking, things like that. The concept is there, while having a drink is not bad, being drunk is, eating food from idols isn't an issue because it all comes from God, except when... It causes this brother to stumble. You're making an offense, an obstacle when you do that. And God's point here, Paul's point in 1 Corinthians, just as it is here, the key isn't what is your freedom to do, but what are people seeing you do? What are people seeing when you do that? It astounds me, but I think if we were so full of love and not demeaning as believers and as Christians, that the world would look past most of the other things we do, but we struggle because we don't show the love. We don't have love for people. We're far more ready to beat them into the spot we want them than to lovingly lead them into the spot we want them in. And I say that because that's, it's a huge struggle of mine. And I think it's something we need to look at. So we have to do everything we can to protect the integrity of the ministry, the gospel, and of God. Lest we create stumbling blocks for people. May it never be said. My prayer is, may it never be said that somebody in my sphere of influence turns their back on God because they know me. I know I'm not perfect. 
I have issues that we could spend the rest of the day talking about. But may it not be that they are such that I would turn people away. Now, the cool part about that all is, is that really it's not me that they're refusing. It's God that they're refusing. So he can do anything. That's the thing that gives me encouragement. While I stumble and learn and try to get better and grow and mature and all these things, God still is able to find ways to use me, even in spite of that, and you guys as well. There's never a time where he hasn't given you everything you need for that moment. Just be cautious when you interact with people, how you interact with them. And if you look at Paul's life, I mean, it's pretty astounding. We move on in verses 4 and 5. He says, but rather than giving offense, so Corinthians, rather than making people want to turn away, rather than that, in everything, commending ourselves, yourself, commend yourself as servants of God in much endurance, in afflictions, in hardships, in distresses, in beatings, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labor, in sleeplessness, in hunger. So I'm starting a new group. You want to join me? You know? You want to be hungry? Get beat up on a little bit? Who needs sleep anyway? I I always used to struggle with this verse. And Paul talks about, but in everything, commending ourselves. For, For me, commending is something where I stand up and toot my own horn. I make everybody look at me, gee, wow, look at all the stuff I can do. I'm a pretty special guy. I've got all sorts of good talents, and you just got to get to know me if you really want to do it. It reminds me of a song Mac Davis used to sing, It's Hard to Be Humble, right? When you're perfect in every way. But that's not what Paul's getting at here at all. It's really a sweet deal. It's, it's a, I, we commend ourselves as servants of God in as much as we establish ourselves with God. It's not us. Paul's not saying, look at me, I'm this wonderful guy, in everything I do this. But he says instead, in everything I stand by God. And he allows me to do these things and to deal with these things. So he's introducing himself, he's standing near God in this as he commends himself. I found it interesting because if you go to Webster's, you know what commend is? To praise, to lift yourself up. To, to, to do these things. I think what an interesting deal. Paul's all about the opposite of that in, in, in what he's trying to tell these people. And then look at this. Afflictions, hardships, distresses, beatings, imprisonments, tumults, labors, sleeplessness, hunger. Paul's not just talking about things he's heard about. I'm going to stand up here and talk about things I've heard about. I have yet to be afflicted because of my faith. I have never been put through a hardship because of my faith. I've not been distressed. I have yet to be beaten. I've not been imprisoned. I've not been in tumult. I have labored, but not in the sense where Paul's talking about here with hard labor, if you will. I've not been sleepless because of being a believer, and I have never gone hungry. And yet, Paul did all of this. And he still said to these guys, this is what the world is going to offer you as a believer. But don't let them see you sweat. Right? Don't do anything in response to this that will limit the effectiveness of the kingdom. What a beautiful message. And then he goes on. 
right, in verses 6 and 7, and all of a sudden we've got a comparison of the world, how they treat believers, and God. So he's, got a, he's going on. So he finishes off talking about these def, difficult things and hunger. But now he's talking about impurity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love, in the word of truth, in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left. God is so good to us. We may stumble. We may struggle. We may miss a meal here and there. We may well in the ensuing years go through all of the same things Paul just described. We may be hungry. We may be beaten. We may be in prison. But God will never leave us. He will never walk away from us. He will never turn his back on us for doing his work here. And while we may be punished and we may go through a lot more than we would ever want to consider going through, it's okay. Because he provides us with everything we need to get through it. Everything that we need. Paul died an old man. He started going through this stuff when he was pretty young. He made it through a lot. How many times did Paul escape sure death? Right? It's just astounding. We have to remember, however, that these things, purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, love, Word of truth. They don't come naturally to us. Right? By nature, by the flesh, we're born as those who who don't want purity. Who aren't patient. Who show kindness to no one. But through God and through the Holy Spirit and the power of God, we can then see these things. I like the last part where it talks about the weapons. The weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left. Man, you're not going to just get one. You're going to be full. It's just a nice picture of God as he talks to us and says, I'll give you everything you need. It's like in Ephesians where he talks about putting on the armor of God and all the different representations of the breastplate and the sword and the helmet and the shield. Here, it's it's a concept of God's not just going to give us as believers as we're going out to be as ambassadors. He's not just going to... Give us a plastic fork. Go get them. Fight the battles. You've got four times to break off. And then use the handle. Rather than that, he's got us completely adorned. We're ready to go. He's given us everything. And he's, he's so good that he's not, he's not happy just giving us one sword, but he's going to give us a shield too. And he's going to give us the helmets and everything that we need to accomplish this. He will provide those things for us. He's going to make sure that his resources and his strength and his power is enough to sustain our weaknesses and our inabilities and our inefficiencies and our failings and our stumblings. And when we start to build obstacles instead of cut them down. He's still there. He's still faithful to all of that. And he is not going to stop. And he is not going to leave us alone in that area. Let's look at Ephesians and all of the things that he's going to give us to deal with. So Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, he's talking to the Ephesians now. Finally, believers in Ephesus, be strong in the Lord. And in the strength of his might, 
Put on the full armor of God that you might be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist the evil day in the evil day. And having done everything to stand firm, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. What a great passage that is. It's just this wonderful concept of preparing yourself. We're called to be ambassadors. Once we accept Christ as Savior, we're called to be ambassadors and workers for him. Over the last three weeks, Dan shared about our vision, our mission statements, our core values. And we kept coming back to the reality that we exist to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. That's why God leaves us on the earth. Otherwise, once he saved us, there's no reason that he wouldn't just take us. But he doesn't. He leaves us here for this purpose. He has us here for this purpose. For if you're a believer and you're sitting in this room, you've got a job. But the best part is, it's not like you're going out without all the stuff you need, unless you don't take the time to put it on. You know, it's great to have all the weapons in the world. You can have the greatest in, in missiles and missile defense systems, airplanes and everything like that, but if you leave them in the hangar, not going to be much good, right? You go out and you say, you go up to, you tow the line with your foe and you say, I have got the meanest, the baddest, the, the most effective weapons in the world. Where are they? They're back there. I got a knife. I win. Right? No, you've got to take them with you. And it's a whole concept here. Paul's trying to help these guys. Look, I'm giving you a warning. You're going to be beaten. You'll be hungry. There'll be things that are happening. Be prepared. Go to the source. Get your stuff. Get your resources, what you need in his strength. It's so beautiful In verse 10 in Ephesians chapter 6, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. We don't bring strength to the battle. We don't bring wisdom to the battle. We don't bring much of anything to the battle. He brings it all. Can you imagine what it would be like to be playing in the Super Bowl today knowing that your coach had everything? There was nothing that your coach didn't have access to. That your coach knew everything. He had all the plays, all the equipment, everything there was to offer. And all you had to do to win was to say, I will accept your gift of wisdom and strength today. And I will just play for you. That's it. It's kind of like what we are as believers, right? We... We have a God who has it all. He's all-knowing, all-wise, all-powerful, all-everything. He's got it all. And he wants us to work for him. And he's got this suitcase with everything we need. And he's standing there saying, just take it. Go ahead and take it. And many of us are too proud to do that. 
I don't need your suitcase. I'm wise. Graduated top of my class. I ran through the ranks of whatever. I did all these things. We're so stuck on ourselves that we don't even look for him for wisdom. And here it is. It's right there. He's got everything we need. But they're the weapons for him, not for us. They're the weapons to bring him honor and glory, not me. And that's where I think a lot of the Corinthians were struggling and where a lot of us struggle as well. He goes on in verses 8 and 9 to give us some paradoxes, some contrasts. And he's continuing on in this discussion of what it looks like to truly, honestly commend yourself. Verse 8 through 10, by glory and dishonor, by evil report and by good report, regarded as deceivers and yet true, as unknown yet well-known, as dying yet behold we live, as punished yet not put to death, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing all things. Paul's trying to show the Corinthians, this is where my life has been. This is really a a biography, an autobiography of Paul. He has been glorified. If you look at his life, he was one of the brightest and the best. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was educated under some of the most influential and effective educators in all of Israel. He was on the fast track to the big boy. Right? He would run the whole show. And, and yet, his, his heart, unbeknownst to him, was being prepared for a job. He was about killing and persecuting Christians. Because they went against the law that he held so dearly. And on a road, it all changed. He lost his sight. He heard from God. He heard from a man who heard from God. The scales fell and he could finally see. He was esteemed above all or many for sure. And when he stopped and started actually encouraging and teaching Christ, he, he now lost the glory, the luster that he had there to, to the Pharisees, right? They no longer saw this man as a new up and coming guy. He was an outcast. Throw him away, get rid of him. This guy obviously wasn't who we thought he was going to be. But now instead he saw the glory of God. So, so the glory of man so paled compared to the glory of the Father in Paul's life. And what a difference it was. It must have been astounding to see the change in him. By evil reporting, good report. This is one of the whole things 2 Corinthians is about. Paul is at some level on the defense here against those claiming that he's dishonest, that he is preaching a false doctrine, that he's lifting himself up, building himself up. And he gets these horrible reports by the leaders, by the believers, and they love him. So on one hand, he's being encouraged, 
And on the other hand, he's being, he, he's being uh, beaten down. As true, as, regarded as a deceiver and yet true. Many of the leaders wanted the Corinthians to believe that Paul was lying to them. They wanted them to think that Paul was trying to lead them down the wrong path. And yet he knew better. And he had God on his side. He could show them the benefits as unknown yet well known. And again, depending upon your time of Paul's life, he was unknown to the Christians in his early days, but known to the Pharisees. He eventually became discarded by the Pharisees and was now held in such high esteem by the believers. Which one do you think he cherished the most? Right? What do you think he went home at the end of the day and said, when people remember me, I want them to remember me as a up-and-coming Pharisee. What do you think he wants to say? When people think of me, I hope they think of me as the guy who was just a little bit lower than dirt, but loved Jesus with all his heart and gave it all away. Gave it all to him. As dying, yet behold, he lives. If we go to Romans 8, verses 36 through 39, there's a great picture here again. Just as it is written, For thy sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And this is referring back to the Psalms. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in, the, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul's life was about near death on many occasions where he was this close to dying. There are stories of where they pulled him out from under the pile of rocks where they tried to stone him thinking he was dead. For all accounts, his body seemed lifeless, only for him to get up and walk away. Dying, but not dead. As punished, yet not put to death. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. I'm not sure what that looks like. I don't know how you crawl out from under a pile of rocks that people threw at you to kill you and rejoice. I don't. I don't know how to, what that even seems like. I struggle when somebody doesn't do what I want them to do. What does it feel like to get out from under a pile of rubble and forgive the people and rejoice because God was glorified through that? That is a picture that I just, I, I probably will spend the rest of my life not grasping. As poor yet making many rich. Paul, you get the perspective based on the track he was going, could have been one of the most wealthy of Israel. Over time could have been one of the, you know, movers and the shakers, one of the very wealthy people. And yet Paul basically lived an incredibly poor man day to day, he had a day to day existence, food, clothing, other things. He did. He did fine, though, because that wasn't the issue for him. And yet the concept here where he was poor physically, he didn't make people rich physically. Paul didn't bestow on these guys this concept of if you give this much to me, you'll get tenfold back. Right? He didn't live with that. His richness that he shared with people was the salvation, the story of God, the Christ, and the life of eternity. As having nothing, yet having it all. What a beautiful picture that is where Paul could look at having zero, 
what he could carry on his back, literally. And yet there was nothing more he needed. Because he had everything he needed. The riches of salvation for Paul were such that he couldn't imagine ever needing more. The importance for Paul of people accepting the riches of salvation and then appropriately responding were obviously critical. This is not the first time he talks to people about getting out there and doing stuff and looking. So as we bring this to conclusion and see what Paul finishes up here, I think there are, for me, there were two most important steps that I would encourage you all to think about this week. One is the recognition, the day of salvation will end. There will be a time when God says, done. There will be no more opportunities. Many will beg, many will cry, they will moan, they will gnash their teeth, they will weep, they will regret the moments. And there will most likely be many that they had an opportunity to say, I want to accept this gift of salvation. But they won't go back because there will be no going back. We sometimes get lulled into this sense that life just keeps going. It's going to be fine. We've got plenty of time. The world may have plenty of time. We don't know when God will say this is the end. We know he will. We don't know when it is. He tells us it will be like a thief coming in the night. We don't know whether we'll get home today. We don't know if we'll make it to the edge of Windsor. We don't know these things. God doesn't allow us to see our days. He knows them. He's counted them out. It's all done. But the important thing to remember is that the day of salvation will end. The two concepts here that are critical is one, if you're not his, you need to make do something about that. And two, you all know people who aren't his. Are you ambassadoring? Are you doing that? Are you out there earnestly seeking opportunities to share him with people? Or are you just keeping your light under your bushel? Uh, you got this beautiful candle and you've got a bushel measure over the top of it and you check it every once in a while. It's still beautiful. Or do you have that thing out there shining for everybody to see? Blinding people with the brilliance of the Savior. What's it look like? When you decide to follow Jesus, you have a job. Do you recognize that? Is it enough for you to just say, I'm saved? Once saved, always saved. I like that concept. I like the concept that salvation doesn't come by works, because now it means I don't have to work. There's a real important distinction between works that get you saved And works that come after you're saved. Show me faith without works and it's dead. The whole concept here that Paul's trying to bring to these guys is you have a job. You are a co-worker with God. You're not a co-worker with just the rest of us in this room. But your co-worker is God. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. You work with them. 
and you work for them and they work through you. All of those things are important. Are you out there working? What does your life look like? If somebody were to do a job analysis on you today, with the most important job you have in your life, how would you do? Would you lose the flags on the front of your car? What would it look like? There's always someone in our lives that needs Jesus. They may need him for salvation. They may need him for for support or for all sorts of reasons. And he uses us in many places. We are the most blessed for that. It reminded me of a couple of times, opportunities I've had at, at the vet school. Where I've had students who had needs that have come in. And and they they said to me, I know this isn't part of your job here. And I'm sorry to bother you with this. But I really have to talk to you. But I'll keep it really short because I know you're busy. And I know that you probably don't have time. And I have been horribly convicted to the point recognizing that this is the most important thing I do. And I tell them that now. Somebody comes into my office and says, I need some time. So I'll cancel everything else for the rest of the day if I can. There's nothing more valuable and more important for me to do than to be available. We don't always get that choice. I don't always have that environment. But when I do, I am determined that that is going to be my response. We can finish when they're done, not when I'm done. I'm convinced that I need to be readily available and responsive to people who need to either learn about salvation or be buoyed up and encouraged. And I suspect we all really need to be there. So might I encourage you, might I encourage you fellow ambassadors and ambassadors-to-be, our job and responsibility is to be available for the kingdom work. It doesn't matter whose name is on your paycheck. That's our job. If we really read this, what Paul said, and we really believe this, then we have to be ready to do whatever we need to do for the kingdom, regardless of what it will cost us in our world. Will we submit to beatings so as not to make an obstacle for people? Will we go hungry so as not to create an obstacle? Or will we just take an extra 10 minutes out of a life that's already full of stuff so as we don't create an obstacle? I am the most privileged of people in the world, I think. I have been blessed beyond what I could have ever imagined a person could be blessed with being able to see God work in people that he allows me to be part of. And, and I had that Friday with a veterinary student. And I walked out of my office more excited than I have been over anything I have done in months. And all I did was encourage. That's all I did. I was there for an hour and some minutes. That's it. And I shared with a student who was really struggling what I see as the beauty of God 
and in that of salvation and you. I shared about you guys. So you were all part of my Friday afternoon, whether you knew it or not. And how I shared the importance of, of you in my life. I shared the importance of the, our community group in my life and how when I need, really need support and I really need insight, I can go to them and I can get it. And I shared how I would be willing if they would permit me to take their needs to the community group. Even though they didn't know these people, I said, because the people are so good, they will pray for you and it will make a difference in your life. And then I'm going to bring it before all of you because I know you'll do the same. This young lady struggling with anxiety. She's just almost immobilized by it. Would you pray for her? Would you remember her? You... Believers, brothers and sisters, are the difference makers in people's lives. You are the ambassadors that they need. I saw somebody come in that couldn't look me in the eye because they were so anxious about their situation to somebody who was bouncing as they left because I promised that we, you don't even know her, but we would pray for her that we would connect to Christ on her behalf. That's exciting. I have the best job in the world because I get a chance to see God make a difference in minutes sometimes, in minutes. Let's pray. Worship team, come up, please. Lord, I don't even know how to thank you for all of your faithfulness towards me. I don't even know how to say it. The words just escape me. It is such a privilege to be an ambassador for you. It is just an amazing calling, Lord. And, and, and I know that life's full for all of us. I know that there's so many things going on and, and yet would you help us to make sure there's always time for those who need you in our lives? Lord, even if it's such a thing that we give up other things that we hold so dear, let's do it. You are the greatest father in the world, in the whole of creation. Thank you today for giving me the opportunity to encourage others about being ambassadors for you. And thank you for giving me the privilege of being an ambassador for you. Please go with us this week, Lord. Show us with your eyes those people who need you that we are around and help us to wrap your arms of love around them. And it's in Jesus' precious and unmatched name we pray. Amen.